read for us from Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to read the first 20 verses of this chapter. You can find a hard copy Bible around you somewhere. You can, um, you can read on the screen. You can just listen, whatever works best for you. <clears throat> they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out to the country. Send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who'd had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and then began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. He was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that it is your word that you still speak with your authority. God, we pray that you would help us to see and hear who you really are before us today. And would you help me to speak only the words that go with it rather than against your word. God, may everything else fall away fade away like the grass, like we all are. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> um, this story in front of us is, uh, is partnered, it's paired with the story that we heard last week that Daniel preached on, um, Jesus stilling the seas, and uh, Mark kind of smashes these together so that you can see this further demonstration of Jesus' power. Jesus is previously demonstrated that he's completely in charge of natural elements, that he has complete authority over the wind and the rain and the seas themselves. And the, you're given a kind of mirrored image of what's going on with this man here in the Decapolis. This is um, one of the... It's the longest exorcism story, certainly in the Gospel of Mark, probably in, in all of the Gospels. Mark, his style we've seen is really jumpy. It's really concise, but 
Here he slows down. He gives us a lot more details. And when, when the author changes speeds like this, we ought to change speeds and, and pay more attention and sit up and, and take notice of what he's doing and what he's trying to show us between these calming of the storms and the calming of the storms that are in this man and what is going on here. Jesus goes across the sea we're pretty sure to the other side, to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, there's some debate about where exactly this is that he's talking about, but it's in the region of the Decapolis, and if you're not up on ancient first century Palestinian geography, this is a collection of 10 cities-ish, this plus or minus, sometimes it refers to more or less, on the other side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, most of what happens in the Gospels happens between the Mediterranean and the Jordan on the western side of the Jordan. And this is on the other side. And this is a region, a collection of towns, this kind of alliance that's been under Roman control more directly for longer. It is a Gentile region, as should be clear to you by the time you get to the 2,000 pigs, because Jewish people don't eat pigs. And there's 2,000 of them here in a herd. This is, Jew this is not Jewish territory. This is Gentile territory. And the first readers of this story, if they are Jewish or not, might have the idea that when Jesus leaves his geographic territory, his power is diminished. Because they have a kind of regional understanding of spirituality. If you go to one place, there's a God here. If you go to another place, there's a different God there. Of course, Israel's not supposed to have that view, but it's easy for them to slip into a view like that. So here Jesus is. He's going outside the geography. He's almost always only in Israel, and here he's not. And Mark is showing you that he has not crossed a boundary of some kind and had his power diminished that he is instead fully in possess of all of the same powers that he's already demonstrated all over Israel on the Sea of Galilee. And he arrives at this really creepy place. There's this man who lives amongst the tombs, and he comes tearing out of this cemetery, screaming, clearly demented, Truly, literally, demented, tormented by demons. And if you're, if you're a Jewish reader, this is not just creepy. This man is profoundly unclean. Ritually, spiritually, he's unclean. He's a Gentile in the Gentile region, and he's been living in a cemetery. Jews are not permitted to live amongst tombs. The law forbids it as being unclean. If you touch a body... You are ritually unclean. And this man is living there. And he is, bears all the signs of isolation, of violence done to himself. And he is coming in front of Jesus and falls down. And in English, it, it reads like maybe he's worshiping. But the language itself is more confrontational than that. There are demons inside of him. And the demons recognize who Jesus is. They are not worshiping Jesus, but they do recognize his power. And their voice comes out of his mouth. And they say, please, you know, don't ruin us. Don't destroy us. Don't send us away from here. 
send us in to those pigs over here. And Jesus does. He says, fine, go. And they go, boom, immediately. And all 2,000 of these pigs immediately rush in suicidal terror into the water and drown. Which is weird. What is, what is this about? What is, what is going on here? We, in our place and time, in often, you know, white, middle-class America, in places like where we live in, in Europe, we have a hard time believing this kind of story that the Bible would tell us. You know, we see this man who's harming himself, who's self-isolated. He's living in a place he shouldn't be, you know, probably out in the elements, screaming into the, into the void. And we say, what combination of medications does this man need to get under control in addition to probably a bath of some sort? We don't really have the, the kind of space to imagine what the Bible is going to tell us, which is that this man is oppressed personally by evil, by demonic power. For a lot of people, this is just, they can put up with a, with a story of, of a God that they cannot see, but the idea that there is a personalized force of evil in the world, that there's a devil, that there are demons just strikes people as fanciful, as, as child stories, as a way to control your behavior, as a way to make you scared at night. But the, the reality is that, that I think that if we could take off the glasses of our Western Enlightenment-informed uh, way of viewing the world entirely through a microscope... Uh, and looked at the world for what it really is and what is going on, the, the biblical story, I think, actually makes more and better sense of the world that we see around us because of the pervasiveness and the senselessness, the senseless violence of evil in the world. Um, my son, yesterday or the day before, was, <laughs> I don't know why, but out of the blue asked me, so how's the war in Ukraine going? And um, he's eight. <laughs> I was like, bad? I don't know. I mean, it's still going. And he just had a lot of questions. And, and what they, a lot, they boil down to is like, why is this happening? Why would, why would Russia do this? Why would Putin do this? What, what will make it stop? What do they need to do? Could they, he said, can't, couldn't they just agree to peace? Couldn't they just do this? And what he was saying is this just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And he's right. This is when you hear you know, more informed people, experts, talking about what, what is possibly going to be necessary to get Russia to, to back out or, or to stop. Some of the kind of fearful conclusion is we don't know what the end game is here. Like, how, do, how does anybody have a back door to back out of this thing? We don't know how this ends. And they're saying the same thing as my son is saying. My son is just more clear and direct. This does not make any sense. And that is the nature of evil. 
That's, that's exactly what evil looks like. It's what evil does. It is violent destruction. The, the personified evil that we see in Mark chapter 5, we see evidence of all the time. And you don't have to just look at you know, global headlines. You can look at local headlines. You can look at the headlines of the stories of people in your life And there are so many things that happen to other people that people do to themselves where you just say, I don't understand this. I don't get why this is happening. And this is exactly in line with the world that the Bible describes that says there is a powerful force of evil stalking the world, seeking to murder and devour and destroy. This is exactly the kind of imagery that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 5 where he says the devil is like a lion stalking the world, seeking to consume. The evidence shows in the world both on our our devices, on the newspapers, and in the context of our own lives that this in fact appears to be true. There's a personalized and powerful force of evil in the world and Jesus is here running into it. The the thing that we have to take note of is Jesus' response to this. You know, we, from what I can gather, I'm not a big horror movie guy. Let me be clear. I don't watch scary movies at all. If it is at all scary, I'm not into it. I have enough things to be afraid of in my life. I don't need to entertain myself with being afraid. So horror movies are not a genre I will dip into. But from what I can tell, many horror movies involve demons that people don't actually believe in, I think. And the horror movie producers would take the beginning of Mark chapter 5 and make it the, the bulk of the story. It's weird, it's creepy, it's disturbing. This man has the, the remnants of shackles and chains strewn everywhere. He has wounds on his body. He is disheveled, he is alone, he is screaming out of the cemetery. Nonsense in a voice that is not his own. It feels like this should be a profoundly scary, creepy thing to be in the middle of, and yet there is no sense from Jesus at all that he is bothered. We've already seen him in the storm confront the powers of nature this exact same way. If we go back to the end of Mark chapter 4, the winds descend on the Sea of Galilee like they are wont to do, and Jesus is napping. Jesus is fine. Jesus here is going into a great screaming demonstration of demonic power of many demons oppressing this man, and there is no sense of fear in him at all. While the Bible will be very clear in saying the world is not a closed and self-contained unit, that it is in fact at cross pressure with profound winds of darkness and murder in the world. God is not in an arm wrestling match with evil. There is no struggle in God with the power of darkness. Anytime 
God moves against evil and against darkness, it's done. Because the power of evil and darkness is not comparable to the power of God. It can, it can be tempting. It can be, it can be easy to slip into a kind of deception that makes you believe this thing is kind of, it might go either way. And we hope it goes God's way. But that is not the view of Scripture. God is fully in control and fully has all the power to deal with evil entirely. Jesus does not need to go through the right machinations or incantations to find the right herbs to burn or oils to pour or fires to set. And hopefully if he can find the right combination, he'll be able to drive this thing away. Jesus has a word for legion and legion is dismissed. The, the culmination of the biblical story, if you read into the book of Revelation, as it moves to this battle of Armageddon, we, we hear this idea of the battle of Armageddon in our heads. is like a giant movie, and there's two big armies that meet on a plane. It's going to be like Braveheart. There's going to be like people screaming at each other, blood flying, and you know this great extended battle between good and evil. But that's not what happens in the book of Revelation. The armies opposed to Jesus assemble, they have murder in their hearts. And the next verse, it's over. And all that's left is the crows picking on the dead bodies of the evil armies. And you don't even see what's happened. The only thing that's happened is Jesus has spoken. Boom. Done. Jesus is not here to arm wrestle with the devil. Because Jesus is fully empowered. He is the creator God. And he is not afraid of what he finds here. The disciples apparently are meant to be unafraid as well. What Jesus encounters, these demonic forces, he speaks in power. And just as he spoke and the wind and the waves were instantly still, this man is restored. Our, our eye in the story goes to the pigs for a second. By the time we snap back to Jesus and the man, he's fully clothed, he's having tea, he's having a lovely day. Because Jesus has done it. He's fully delivered him. Now, what happens then is that the people in the region hear of what has happened. The crazy man. The man tormented and, and driven insane by the powers of darkness. He's just fine now in this giant herd of pre-bacon is dead with a word. And their response is fear because they understand what Mark is trying to show you. That Jesus is far more powerful than any power arrayed against him. And they are afraid that if this man who has all this power might turn his will against them, what might happen to them? They're terrified. They beg for him to leave. 
See, they only understand in part what you are meant to see. At this point in Mark's gospel, they do not have all of the information. This is, we keep coming back to this, this is a reoccurring theme in the gospel of Mark. That the people don't understand what is right in front of them. You can be reading it and it seems plain to you, but it's not plain to the people because they are standing before God has truly revealed the full extent of his power. And so they're looking sort of through the shadow to try to discern what it is that's here. In a lot of ways, the truth seems kind of hidden from them, even though it's in plain sight. They have part of what they're supposed to know. Jesus is supremely powerful. But you are meant to know to what end he wields that power and the kind of person that he is as the one who bears that power. Paul will talk about this exact thing. In Colossians 2, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You are invited to hear, to read this story on the other side of the cross. It is not just that Jesus has this power. He does. You are meant to see how he demonstrates and uses that power and the way that he chooses ultimately, not just to deliver a man in a moment, but to fully conquer the power of evil that is in the world, coming to bear on this man and coming to bear on all people. And the surprising thing that you cannot know or understand without seeing the cross is that Jesus' power is not wielded. It is not, he is not waved around in the way that people expect. It is not the way that demons would even do it. The demons would try to make you afraid. It is to bind you, to control you, to direct violence against you, to murder and destroy you. The only reason you can see those pigs plunging off the cliff is to understand this is what demonic power looks like. It is there to ruin you. It is there to destroy you. And for the demons, this is what power looks like. Control and destruction. And Jesus' power is different than their power. And the people in the place and time miss, they don't understand what that power looks like. Because what is going to happen is that Jesus will look at all the arrayed powers of darkness and evil in the world. Jesus will look at the violence that brings upon that man that is, that is shown in the pigs and is shown in the, own, the man's own flesh. 
and that impulse to murder, to destroy the insanity of a killing without logic and without end. Jesus will stand in the face of that kind of evil and say, bring, bring all of it. Bring it to me. Do it to me. Bring me the worst of your murderous and evil rage. And he stretches out his arms on the cross. And he bears all the blows that evil wants to bring. So much so that he allows himself to be given over to the worst that those demonic powers can imagine, which is murder. Jesus goes into the grave. And he doesn't just go for a moment. He stays dead for Friday night and all day Saturday and Saturday night so that on Sunday morning you will know that truly everything that evil has to throw at you and anyone he has faced. And so when Jesus is resurrected, he puts those powers to open shame. He says, you have done your worst to me, and I have made a mockery of all your power. When Jesus does that, the violence that this man does to himself is disarmed forever. In that same pursuing, murdering, evil power that stalks the world, that is very real and very powerful and truly does seek to destroy and kill anybody that it can, now, in light of this much more powerful one, looks entirely different. If you come and see who he really is. Because notice what this does for you, Paul says in Colossians 2. It is not just that he looks at the power of evil there and breaks its back. It is the power of evil also within you. It is the power of sin itself that puts you and I in natural conspiracy with this personalized, stalking, murderous power of evil. That sin that boils and broils around inside of you and me and inclines me to be aligned with such terrible and awful forces, by Jesus' death and resurrection, you and I can be delivered and freed, finally, forever, from all of those things that might be arrayed against you. And every single thing that these demons, that any demon, that Satan himself can accuse you of and throw at you, Jesus has laughed and scoffed at them. He's crushed them in the power of his own death. The people here have not seen that in Mark chapter 5, but you have. You have. You can know that this one that wields this kind of power, this one, he aims to do good to you. He aims to do good for you and to set you free. This man, when Jesus is leaving, 
he's trying to clamber onto the boat. And he just, the text says, he wants to be with Jesus. This is disciple language. He's, he wants to be with Jesus. That's his response. Now, Jesus says no. <laughs> Jesus says, you have to stay here. And you have to go tell everyone what I've done. He does, apparently. The next time we see the Decapolis, a couple chapters, chapters later, the next time Jesus returns to this region, apparently a lot of people are really inclined to see him and hear him, what is going on. They never mention this man, but it seems more than likely that the reason why people are so interested is because this guy has done his job. He is a disciple. He has responded. He wants to be with Jesus. Now the other people who are in the story, they marvel but they don't necessarily want to be with Jesus. They're interested in him. They're impressed by him. But they don't necessarily want to be with him. And that same choice is put to you. And you are being presented it through the lens of the cross. If you are here today, and you are realizing you have kept Jesus at arm's length for your whole life. That your response to him has been curiosity, habit, mostly fear that whatever is out there would ever have anything to do with you. Today, you need to reorient the position of your heart. In biblical language, this is repentance. That in fact, you have been traveling the wrong way with far too much distance from you and Jesus. And today, you understand that this one's great power has been leveraged on your behalf. Today, you should want to be with him and be his disciple. And today, maybe you're like, I, you know, I've been in the boat. <laughs> I have been with Jesus. I've been following Jesus, but for a long time in my life, it has certainly felt like this is a much closer 50-50 sort of venture. The power of God, the mercy of God, it seems much diminished in my life. My anxieties have ruled me. My, my lusts, my desires have ruled me. Everything else has gotten bigger and Jesus has gotten smaller so that he seems at best a sort of desirable equal. And that is a lie. It's a deception. And today, Jesus would leverage his power for you too. That if you have lived for a long time with a mismatched understanding of who Jesus really is, you, you have not believed that he really could be that powerful, that good, that you have been a good church person, you've behaved well, still believe, but your heart has grown cold living in a world where Jesus is one chess piece amongst many. Today, the lights are coming on. 
Jesus is the most powerful, precious person in your life and mine. In every place that you've missed it, you are so like every one of the other disciples that he's loved. If you are worn down and tired by your failure to see him, your track record of failure and unbelief, Jesus came for you. Those are the kinds of people that he put in his inner circle. Those are the kinds of people that he loves most. And he will even now be kind to you. So you might get all the way to this point, and at the last moment, the devil will try to do one more thing for you. And he'll divert you into fear if he can. That you would get all the way down to the road to here, believing yes, yes, yes. And you would say, but if I come to him, surely he will send me away. And that is the devil's last card to play. It is a lie. There's no reality there. All there is, is Jesus. All there is, is the one who has stretched his arms on the cross and bring to bear all of his power on your record of wrongs, your debt, your imprisonment, and he will set you free. Do not listen to that voice, but instead, come home. You do not need to fear Jesus. For you too, the storms can be silenced, your wounds can be repaired, and he will set you in his company to be among his friends now and forever until the day when he buries evil in its grave forever. Evil is only a temporary, but this king, he will exert his rule and reign, his power forever and ever and ever, world without end. Will you join him? Will you be with him today? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this word, this good news. God, we thank you that no matter how serious and how powerful the forces of darkness are in this world, Jesus has all authority and dominion and power. God, we thank you that you have not used that power to crush us. You have instead used your power to free us. And Father, I pray for all of those who are here today who have kept you at arm's length, who have not dealt with you in any personal terms, but have, but have been afraid of you, uh, who have hoped that maybe you were out there. And I pray for those who have known you, but have fallen into a cloud of deception and had their heart grow cold, which is so easy to do. And God, I pray that today you would shut the lion's mouth. That you would free your people from the power of evil, darkness, and death. And with a word, 
you will silence the insanity of evil. Father, I pray for those who have given up hope that today they would find in you there is more than enough. For those who are discomforted, who are burdened, who are weary, who are alone, who have done violence to themselves and to others. God, I pray that you would bring the good news of the kingdom to them. The kingdom of God is at hand and they might be free. Lord Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful that you are the king over heaven and earth. We are grateful for your love. God, would you deliver us ever deeper into that love until the day we see you face to face. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.